0: Our theme today, it's in your bulletins at the top. It says, The time is short. We must face our fears and know the truth because faith is built on the truth and found in God's word. Therefore, the time is right to stand up for the truth, and we have in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned before, the Martin Luther King Jr. quote, The time is always right to do the right thing was what really spoke to me this week and it started uh, last week right after the sermon. I was talking to Phil, and that kind of inspired me to uh, go there with this. So we're going to read the first 16 verses of John 19. Be patient with me. And uh, here we go. I just got to say something else. Pilate, spelled with an A. man. That doesn't go with my brain. I tried to spell it with Pilate with an O and no E so many times. That's not his name. (laughs) Continuing on. Uh, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and placed it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here the, is the man. When they saw him, the lead priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more Frightened than ever, and he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to, re- to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would, have no, you would have no power over you, over me at all, unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater power sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leadership shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again, and Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone payment in Hebrew, Gabbatha, and it was, and it, it was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned to Jesus over to them to be crucified. May God bless the reading of his word. This The Three points that I came up with today go on the play of words of Kno and No. First, we start with N-O. No hope, you have no Jesus. But if you know hope, then you know Jesus. Right? And that's where we're going this morning. The first one is the first two together: no hope, no Jesus. Last week we knew that Pilate did not know the truth when it was right in front of him. And as we walk into John 19, we find that the Jewish leadership have got Pilate in a tight spot. And if you've ever seen, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, you'll know the quote, Oh dang, we're in our tight spot. Very funny movie. Um, I don't know if it's very Christ-like, but it's, it's very funny. Um, he caught, he is caught, by the defiant jewish leadership and the truth jewish leaders they want jesus dead they've prophesied it they've done all they can but kill him and they want him dead and the truth of the matter is jesus is innocent Pilate probably should have done his homework a little bit when it came to ruling that land and looking at what the messiah meant to the Jewish people and for somebody to claim that they are the Messiah, the Son of Man or anything of the such, they're not going to appreciate it unless it means one thing and that means to overthrow Rome. That's not what Jesus came, he came to came to do. He came to overthrow sin. And so let's take a little look at some of the examples that we find in the Old Testament and the prophets and the judges Who have rescued the Israelites in the past? Almost all of these have drawn their sword and fought their oppressors. If you look at the book of Judges, you see uh, Gideon, Othnel, Ithud, Shamgar, and Deborah. Deborah's the exception; she didn't draw her sword, but uh, she had Barak do that. And eventually, Jael, which is a woman, uh, raised her tent stake. And uh, killed Sisera. You know what um, JL means in, in the Hebrew? It means prophet or child of God. It's the same as Joel, but it's the female version. You know what Sisera means in the Hebrew? It means serpent. So when she takes a tent stake and drives it through his head, do you see this Jewish symbolism coming back clear to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we'll touch on a little bit later, which is uh, the first prophesied where the the child of the woman will drive her heel through his head. So they would have known what that meant. They all drew their swords to save God's people. Pilate was setting himself up for failure because if Jesus is that kind of Messiah, Pilate's a dead man. If he's not that kind of Messiah, Jesus is a dead man. And that's what we find. Jesus is not that kind of Messiah and Um, He's a Messiah that's going to take care of the sins. He's going to be a sacrifice, and he does die. So Pilate's trying in vain to rescue a condemned man, um, condemned by the God. First, Pilate has Jesus flogged. He figures, well, if I flog him and punish him, then they'll see that we've treated him bad enough, that he has been disgraced, and that he... Uh, will be cast out of society. Unfortunately, Jesus now appears as if he is a criminal because his um, centurions and guards have done a little bit too good of a job on the flogging. Even though he's innocent, he is flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Um, If you know your history back in those days, that would have been a cat of nine tails. And a cat of nine tails would have had nine different uh, whips off of it with lead and shell and different things embedded into the whip. And once it went into the person, it was shredded their back to ribbons. Or that it was said that um, a very skilled um, person with that whip could kill with one blow. Often the punishment that was handed out was uh, 39... Lashes, uh, forty minus one is what they would say, uh, because they said forty lashes would kill any man. Uh, Thirty-nine, he might just survive. So they, they tore him up, and with this cat of nine tails, because the Romans they were really experts in torture. They were the maybe the one of the best torturers ever in history. And that's what Jesus gets to deal with when he is punished before he goes to the cross. Jesus was then mocked. So not only have they beat him physically, they're trying to beat him emotionally. And he's mocked again by putting in a purple cloth and a crown of thorns shoved into his heads. These aren't the little thorns. They're big thorns. It's rough. And can you imagine after Pilate gives his sentencing, they take that purple cloth off of him and could you imagine the excruciating pain when those wounds are w- open back up again not to gore you but to know what Christ went through for us i think is important during this easter season constantly being beaten and hit and taken to uh town like that and never never once did he Fight back. Never once did he shout back that I'm an innocent man or condemn anybody. You think anybody in the world that could say, drive a curse on somebody beating them, it would be the Son of God and have something happen to that man. And Jesus kept his mouth silent because that would have been a sin and he was not tempted to do so. So, why would Jesus put up with this treatment? Why would he go through these beatings? Why would it it be something that he would deal with the suffering? It's because he lived out what he preached and what he believed. Jesus, if you go and read the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus lived that. He didn't just preach it. He lived it. He didn't just go and talk about compassion. He went and did And lived out compassion. Jesus didn't say, go and be sinless. He went and was sinless. Okay? And where where did you see that? It says, go be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, how can we achieve that perfection? We can only do it through Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way that we're going to get there. And so when we get bogged down by the temptations and bogged down by the things of this life, We just need to hang on to that relationship with Jesus. We get angry at the temptation. We get angry at the addiction and not at Christ. Because that's what we want to do, right? We want to say, well, Jesus, you said to do this. You said to do this. No, that's the alcohol talking. And we're going to talk to the alcohol and we're going to say, no, Jesus said to do this. And even though we're drinking or even though we're going through the pain of the addiction... We can get angry at the addiction and not at Christ, right? That was one of the ways that I beat pornography, is I got angry at the sin instead of the Savior, and so when I went to the Savior, I was able to get rid of the sin. That's how you do it. Am I saying it's easy? No. (laughs) It is not easy. I'd rather be a gossip. I'd rather be... um, looking after myself. I'd rather be selfish and pursuing those things. But That's not what God's called us to do, is it? It is not easy, but it's a calling. And as I walk in that calling, and as I've walked away from some of those temptations, I see what God has for me. I, I see how it's built up my marriage. I see how it's, it's, Um, allowed me to be intimate with one woman and understand the intricacies of that one woman, in my particular case. I have made her my epitome of beauty, and I pursue her like that. And she's probably saying, well, you could do a little bit harder job of pursuing, just saying. (laughs) We always can, can't we, men? We could always do better pursuing. Um, my, my epitome of pursuit is uh, one of my good friends, uh, Jake Sutton. That guy, he knows how to pursue a uh, gal, and I, I've learned a lot from him that I have a long ways to go before I will even come close to getting there. Um, so why would Jesus put up? Because he lived it out. Why? Gave a commandment, didn't he? John fifteen twelve through thirteen says, "My commandment: love each other in the same way that I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Can you lay down that temptation for Jesus Christ, for your friends, for your relationship, for your future family, for your current family?" It is not easy. It's something that creeps in. It's something that we need to continue to go on every day. But we're going to pursue those things, right? Jesus did this because he loved us. We get to see that love on display in action right here. There's no greater love than one to lay down his life for his friends. What's Jesus doing? He's laying his life down for you and I, right? Praise God for that. Because he loves us with a love that we cannot fathom. A love like a hurricane. And the only way we can stand up under it is if he is the governor to the, to the engine of love. As he pours it into us, um, he keeps us from um, being crushed by his love. I think that's kind of an amazing way to look at it. Uh, you ever get a small engine... You ever done small engines before, like a little lawnmower? You ever take the governor off the lawnmower and just let it go? Just it just winds up and it just takes off, right, until it blows up. Well, if God's not on there and we, if He's not there to to govern us, uh, we get in trouble. Um, I remember Dad had this has a crawler. He still has the crawler, and the governor came off of it. It loose off, and that motor took off, and he jumped off that motor, and what are you going to do? It, it's a diesel engine going crazy. Um, that's a lot of power. Uh, you just crank that thing up from, say, 100 horsepower to maybe 1,000 if the governor's in the right spot, and uh, probably not that much, but a lot more than, than what it's supposed to. Uh, he finally got in front of the air intake, and he threw a pail over it and ran away. Because uh, you don't know if a rod's ever going to come through that that and that shut the obviously shut the air off and he was safe. So that's what Christ is to us. He is unrelenting power and love, and he's pursuing us with a governor. And if we ask him to, to lift that governor up, man, Lord, I need a little bit more love today. Boom, he will do it. It's there. It's all a matter of perspective on how we look at things. He picks us up, he cleans us up, he gets us new clothes. He promises that as that in Zechariah chapter three. Put new clothes on him. And he places under his care with a seal because he's willing to put us first every day. Are we willing to do the same? How did Pilate get into the situation? How did he get into a place where he gets in this catch twenty two? Well, I think it's fear. And we know fear is a liar. It will make you do uncanny things. It will make you get very selfish. Fear does. And we know that Pilate he feared a Jewish revolt. He feared another riot because if he gets another riot, he's probably a dead man. And ultimately, he feared that well, not ultimately yet. He feared that Jesus might be a god like a Roman god that he he's like you're not from this planet what what are you talking about who are you are you a roman god that i'm killing am i going to have are there going to be consequences for this but we know that he is not a roman little g god but he is the god of the universe and he loved even pilate and had compassion on him but his biggest fear i believe is for his own life caesar will kill anyone who opposes him and jesus says that he's a king. And that would be in opposition to Caesar. And they point, the Jewish leadership point that out, and Jesus, and they put Pilate in a catch-22. Either they get Jesus or they get Pilate. They don't care which, they got one of them today. Right? And right there, we see the truth go out the window. Pilate's going to save his own skin, isn't he? He doesn't have a foundation of Christ. And so, since Christ has that foundation, he's going to be the fall guy. And to sweeten the deal, the Jewish leadership say, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate's been waiting for the Jews to say this since he started command. He finally gets to hear what he wants, and then Pilate turns Jesus over to them to be crucified. All of a sudden, Pilate has all he wants. The Jewish people are submitting to Caesar, the church. We can't do that. We can't sell out. Just because it's easy... We can't sell out to go along with the flow. The way of living, that way of living, of selling out, and never changed anything or anyone. For anything better, it always leads to death. And when we give in to the temptation, it always leads down to death as well. The time is short. We must face our fears and know the truth because faith is built on the, the truth found in God's word. Therefore, the time is right to stand up for the truth we have in Christ Jesus. Let's continue on to read the next big section of John 19, the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. It starts in verse 19 and goes through 37. So they found Jesus, or they they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to a place called the place of the skull, in Hebrew called Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on each side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the King of the Jews to said, He said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the, the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless and woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so, and so they said, rather than tearing it apart, let us throw dice for it. And this fulfilled the scriptures that said, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing, which is in Psalm 22 that we read the, this morning, just further on. Uh, So that is what they did. Standing near the cross, Jesus' mother and his his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, his disciples took her into his home. By the way, I would say that it's probably the best Mother's Day sermon right there ever, what Jesus did for his mother when he was dying, the compassion that he had on his mother. Amazing. Let's continue on to 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so he soaked up a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips, and Jesus when Jesus tasted, he said, "It is finished." Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation. The Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten the bot or their death and ordered their legs to be broken, then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so he didn't, they didn't break his legs, which is prophecy. And one of the soldiers pierced his side, which is prophecy, with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed, which is prophecy. This report is from an eyewitness given an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. Basically, what he's saying I saw Jesus die. I saw it. I was there. There's no way that he could have lived. Verse 36, uh, these things happen to be fulfilled, men of scripture. Um, not one of his bones was broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. And I guess we're only reading through 36. Our point today is to know Jesus. K N O W, Jesus. Why did Jesus die? Because if we know the why, it's a lot easier to do the what, isn't it? Why did Jesus die? Because God promised that he would pay for our sins. God promised it from the beginning. I'm going to take care of both your side of the covenant and my side of the covenant, is what he told Abraham. When we get to study um, Genesis here soon, we're going to read that. We're going to see that. Okay, And we're going to walk through all the promises that we see in chapters like, I don't know, it's about chapter 12 through uh, 19, where God throws down a lot of promises to Abraham. And as a result, God opens a way to heaven for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? When we sin, we go back and we ask for repentance. And we keep doing that. And when that cycle gets tiring, we don't get mad at the Savior because he's not rescuing us from a sin. We get mad at the sin because it's keeping us away from the Savior. Does that make sense? Attack the sin with that anger. Attack that sin with that tenacity. And it will lead you to the Savior because he will give you the strength to walk through that. Jesus died because of you and for you all at the same time. Right? He died because of us, because we're sinners, Sin came into the world. We continue to sin. That's why he had to die. But he died for us because he rescued us by being the perfect sacrifice. And he took away all that sin. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, it can't be our excuse anymore. The sin can't be our excuse anymore. Jesus has saved us from that. He can do this. I hate this and love this all at the same time. That Jesus died because of us and for us. I hate it and I love it all the same time. Why? I hate it because I keep sinning. I am a wretch of a man. I am continually battling all the time to walk the same process that I'm preaching today. I am not a superhero. I don't have a I Nope, didn't wear my Superman shirt today. It doesn't work that way, right? We can't just... Well, uh, it's the yellow sun that gives me my power. No, it's the son of God that gives me my power. And if I'm clinging on him, then I might have a chance. I I'm I love it because I am a wretched man. And Jesus knew that and he died anyway. Right? Jesus could have got there and he said well, that Shane House character's coming around in history, and he's going to get there, and he's going to be pretty bad, and he's going to have those, oh, my goodness, thoughts all the time, and he's going to be like, oh, what am I going to do? Nah, I'm going to stay off the cross. I would have been fine until Shane House was born. Do I have that kind of authority in God's life? That's ridiculous. That's laughable, right? So don't think the same of, of yourself. He didn't get up there and say, well, I'm going to keep because Joe, you know, he's, yeah. No, we are not anything to God. He can hold the universe in his hands. He can handle your sin and my sin as well in abundance. Praise God, because I can put it on there. Whew. It's times like this that we need to remember that. And when we cling to that salvation, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We walk away from that temptation more and more and more. And it's awesome. He wants to be in relationship with you and I. Without that relationship, we're doomed. We're condemned. We should give up. But he doesn't give up, does he? So I can't give up. He sets the example I follow. I follow his commands if I love him, right? That's what it says. If you love me, I'll obey my commandments. Well, let's show up. Let's show up. I'm going to love him today because he's loving me. Amen? Truth. We stand up under the truth. We talked about that last week. The truth is our foundation. We walk through the foundation of faith that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And it builds up to love. So we need to understand the truth. What truth do we have? The truth that we have, one of the truths is the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in the Old Testament, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled 28 of the 438, I think, prophecies that was sent out in front of him. When he died, when he said it is finished, 28 of, the, of those prophecies were done. Within within 24 hours, I'd say quite a few more even on top of that from that point on. And then in um, 72 hours after that, probably less than that because he wasn't in the grave a whole three days. He was in there a little bit, a whole day, and a little bit. He was so excited he had to get out of there right away, right? They call that three days in the Jewish timeline. So Jesus filled 28 prophecies on the day of his crucifixion. The first, the prophecy that I mentioned earlier, the oldest of all, has been given to God at the time of Adam and Eve when they sinned. He prophesies, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake. He's talking to Satan. Enmity means uh, angst. They're going to butt heads all the time. And now, what I missed it. And between your seed and her seed, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15 as I put in the bulletin there. That's fulfilled, or we see it fulfilled in John chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out and it will be lifted up from heaven and I will draw all all to myself. But he said this to signify by what death he was about to die, and we saw it. I think the Passion of the Christ does a great job. When Jesus dies on the cross, Satan cries out in that move, and it zooms in on him, and it's just like, what? It's because he knows he's lost. Satan was tempted by the pain and the suffering of making the God. And he was able to throw out the pain and suffering to God and put it on Jesus' shoulders, and that temptation was too big for him, and Jesus defeated him by over-tempting him. And he's like, I can handle that. I got this. Three days later, he be- defeated his champion of death, who God created. <laughs> I would hope he'd be able to-, to beat him. Praise God for that. Isaiah, he prophesied that Jesus would be sacrificed as a Passover lamb. He has brought, he has brought, Brought uh, as a Passover lamb to the slaughter. When did Jesus cry out? It is finished. What hour was it? Three in the afternoon? Yeah, it was three in the afternoon, which is the final hours when it becomes the next day. That's when the Passover starts. All right, Jesus is finished. All right? Fulfillment explained for Christ, this is in 1 Corinthians and and 1 Peter. For Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ, and as a lamb without blemish or without spot, who truly was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for your sakes. He was here from the beginning of time, but manifested... For God? No. For you and I, so that we could see. That was another eyewitness, Peter. Both Isaiah and David prophesied that Jesus' body would be mutilated. Many were astonished at him, this is the prophecy, for his body would be so disfigured. When he got done being beaten by Pilate's centurions, they couldn't recognize him. Even his form beyond that of of sons of men. I... I can count all my bones. They look and gloat over me. That's Psalm 22, like we read earlier. Fulfilled. After, But after scourging Jesus, they delivered him up so that he might be crucified. And that Pilate therefore took Jesus and had him scourged. That's John 19, verse 1, where we are at today. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would not make an effort to defend himself on his trial. That's Isaiah 53, 7. And it says in Matthew 27, 13, 14, Don't you hear how many these things they testify against you? And he did not answer even one word to him. So the, the governor was greatly amazed. have never seen anybody do that before. They're accusing you of all these wicked things. You don't have anything to say for yourself? And We see in the book of John, he does reply a little bit, but not much. And not to his accusations only to the hierarchy of authority. Isaiah also foretold that Jesus' crucifixion as a sin offering for the world. Um, and I'm going to read this. It's Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, and then 10 and 11. It says, Surely he has borne our iniquities and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those are both words for sin, by the way. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we ourselves are healed. All we, we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each, other, to, each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. Yet the Lord will crush him, and he has put himself to grief. You shall make his life you shall make his life an offering for sin you shall see his seed and I shall prolong his days and that the pro- purpose of the Lord may prosper in his hand he shall see of all the tra- travail of his soul and he shall be fully satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many and he shall bear their iniquities what does that mean that Jesus died on the cross for you and I. It was prophesied back in Isaiah 700 years ago. Before Jesus was even born. That That's was going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. Psalms was even later. Probably a thousand years before Christ. Pretty sure that's pretty close. John 19, we see this happening. The place called the skull. He was crucified. He was scourged. He was uh, beaten down. He was beaten down for you and I for our sake. David prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced, and Zechariah prophesied that he would be pierced with a spear. How many people on that day were pierced with a spear? Of the three, just one. It also was prophesied that his bones would not be broken. How many of those, did they break the legs? They broke two. They left one whole, right? Pretty amazing. Another prophecy of Jesus' death. That's in Zechariah chapter 12 is, this, is this spear. the spear. The bones breaking are not broken um, is in uh, Psalm 22. It also says that his heart was like wax, and that is how Jesus died because of the blood and water. Uh, medically speaking, they know that his heart would have been Uh, stopped by the pressure around uh, his heart, and he would have had a heart attack and died. In the end, Jesus says, it is finished. He was the payment for our sins. He is now living proof of a Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the truth right in front of us. I don't think that there's ever been the problem, though. I think we've always kind of known the truth. We've kind of known... Most of the way, we we have the ability to find the facts anyway. We've always had the truth. But when pushed, I think even when we're we're pushed, push comes to shove, we would confess. Yeah, I I believe that Jesus was around. I believe that he's uh, the Savior. But my question then is this. What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it as believers? What are we going to do about it as somebody that's straddling the fence? What are we going to do about it as somebody that's peering in from the outside? We have the prophecies written through time about Jesus. We have historical facts to back up that Jesus exists. Guys, we have the truth in history. We have the truth in God's word. And if we know this to be true, then... Do we believe it in our hearts? And if we believe it in our hearts, do we show it in our lifestyle? It's as simple as that. If you have faith, it shows up in your life. I'm tired of the church giving Christ a bad name. I'm tired of the American church dragging this God loves us so I can do whatever I want, kind of mentality. There are consequences for our actions. They're going to show up later on in your life. They're going to show up on Judgment Day. And they're going to show up in the reputation of my Savior. And I'm offended when people don't treat it like such. Let's not be like that, White Rose. Let's set the example of what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? Will you do life with me? Will you follow Jesus? What's that look like? What's that look like? Well, it looks like this. Let's go one last little section. And we'll see two guys setting an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 38 it says, afterwards, words, Joseph of Arimathea who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He had brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment and made from myrrh and aloe. Following Jesus's burial custom, or Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body in the spices and long sheets of linen cloth, and the place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because of it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. They got halfway done with the burial process, and they quit. They wanted to get out so they could do the Passover. They can't, you can't touch a dead body on the Passover day. So it got to the 9 o'clock at night. They had, to, they had to quit. If you know Jesus, you know hope. Nicodemus, we find out in John chapter 3, he's the teacher of all teachers. He goes and questions Jesus at night because he's afraid. You see, Joseph of Arimathea, they're afraid. And what do they do? They go out to Jesus on the cross They take him down in front of everybody. Everybody saw him if they wanted to, and they made their faith public. In a sense, that's what baptism is, right? When we say, I'm no longer going to be a closet Christian, I'm going to be somebody that follows Jesus Christ. He's changed my life, and I'm going to let the world know. I want to be baptized today, and I am going to show the world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus probably lost position that day. But they didn't care. What's amazing to me is they do it and they profess their faith in a dead man who is supposed to be Messiah. So I, I I got I figure that Nicodemus has got to know. Three days. I got this. <laughs> right? He's banking on what he knows. And Nicodemus, who was there to bury him in the end, James says that you can tell your faith by your actions. You can say you have faith, but if you don't act on it, you don't have anything. But if you act on your faith, then you got something. Friends, I believe Nicodemus is declaring that he follows Christ. Nicodemus, he counted the cost. He defied the Jewish leadership of the day by burying Jesus. And he counted it physically, by bringing 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And those would have been super expensive. And probably reserved for his death. And he gave them to Jesus. Why did he do this? After all, Jesus is dead. And now he comes to faith in him? Does that make any sense at all? Jesus died. Now you're going to believe in him. Now you're going to believe he's the Messiah? It's like the worst time in the world ever to do it. That's when Nicodemus does it. He knew and he believed that it wasn't enough to just put his words into him, thoughts into him. He had to put his actions into him. And to honor Jesus, he went and buried him. And we, when we learn how to do that as well, we can do it together. And it washes that fear right out the door, doesn't it? It takes those temptations and makes them a little bit minimal. Because there's no more power over you. Because Christ, that Christ, the one that rose from the grave, that's the one that redeems Nicodemus. And he redeems you and I. Amen? So the time is short. We must face our fears and know the truth because faith is built on the truth found in God's word. Therefore, the time is right to stand up for the truth that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that we can find life in and through you. Lord, I pray that as we come together, that we would be bold in our faith in our workplace, that we would uh, stand up for what it means to, to know you in the right way lord i pray that we would have a desire to tell other people lord place, place on our hearts people that need to know jesus and that we would be able to intersect the gospel in our conversation and we ask that you in your amazing name We thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the amazing adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. May you go with the Lord, and may your faith turn into action this week. Amen.